Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. We don't want your health to be shit. We want to make you a shift. Please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Jamie Walker. Jamie is a dear friend, longtime friend, professional singer, songwriter, academic technologist, application developer. Wow, so needed as we shift the paradigm of learning, working and socializing to being more platform-based. And Jamie is a lifelong student of spiritual growth and applies this with the use of sound coupled with intention for self-growth and healing. Thanks for being here today, Jamie. So welcome. My pleasure, Julie. Absolutely. Yeah, so happy. So tell me your story. How did you get started and got to where you are today? Well, that's, I guess the, the place that it really started was, you know, as a, as a young lad, I was very drawn to um, things that could not be seen and that a lot of people maybe didn't care about, but that uh, I really wanted to, uh, to believe and to bring to, co to concentrate on. So that meant that as, as a young one, I loved dinosaurs and fossils and things that, you know, instilled a feeling of magic in the world. Um, as you're, when you're a kid, magic is kind of everywhere, but I, I held on to, to that as I went to school and I wanted to kind of live in that place. And that, and that kind of helped me to link into um, the idea that the world is more than what you could see. <clears throat> and as I started playing music <clears throat> at, a, at a pretty young age, I discovered the guitar and um, the things that, the places that it could take you as you were, you know, playing. And I was lucky to be surrounded by some, some really good mentors. Um, some that actually pointed me to improvisation and the fact that what I was doing was improvising in some cases, and that made me interested about uh, learning about jazz improvisation. And at the time, I think it was the early 70s, I was listening to a guy named John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and they were a rock outfit um, that really had a spiritual uh, bent to them. And I went to see them live, and they, they start the show with a meditation. There's cool. like a there's a two minutes of, of silence where you're actually, and, and I believe John was a, um, a devotee of uh, one of the Hindu gurus. Um, I could, I do not remember who it was at, at, the, um, at this time, but it sort of opened my eyes to the fact that what I was doing when I was improvising was I was connecting to a, a source of some kind that was beyond me, that was bigger than me. And I'm talking about the age of like 14 when you're sort of just kind of figuring out where you fit in the world and what you're what you're bringing to the table, you know, what, what's kind of making you uh, different than everybody else. And that was really, the guitar really took me through the difficult years of teenagehood where I was really struggling for identity. I wasn't, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that were just really good athletes and I just, I wasn't as good as them, you know, I was okay. But what really distinguished me from them was this ability to play the guitar and to um, 
sort of take them on trips uh, and songwriting began happening at the same time. So, so sound and music um, in, that, in, in that way helped me to start journeying. Mm. Uh, and then <clears throat> fast forward to about, uh, let's see, 1985. Meanwhile, uh, I, I did fall in love and get married at a very early age and started a family at a very early age. So what was really tested was my faith in my abilities because I never really committed to um, music full time. I went to college, you know, I, I went through 12, 12th grade and went, went off to college to learn about um, geology, which was really, you know, a translation from my dinosaurs and rocks days as a, yeah. as a child. I just, I wanted to, you know, have something that was more assuredly a wage earner for me. And I had that, I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit, but that was a force in my life that sort of made me um, wary of trying to rely on um, these, the love of the things that you can't really see, <laughs> you know, to, to make your, put bread on the table. But uh, at, after I had uh, gotten married and about the time of my first child, um, I was exposed to both um, Paramahansa Yogananda, um, Biography of a Yogi, which had a big effect on me when I read that book and um, started following his teachings and his lessons, which included um, yoga, meditation, and um, various energetic practices. So that was about, about 1985, I was, I was about um, uh, 23 or so, 24. Is that right? A little older than that, 20, 25, 26. And uh, that coincided with reading uh, Shirley MacLaine's Out on a Limb, which was, that was brought to my attention because of another intersection, um, a meeting of someone who was a choreographer in one of um, my band's videos. And you also know this person. Um, Margaret Donner was a dancer and a, a dance teacher at Brown University when she uh, took the job of choreographing our second video for um, what was um, sort of the uh, accepted practice of when you're a rock band, you needed to have a video in the 80s to put onto the local video station and MTV. Um, and she came in and she had a life-changing event um, very shortly thereafter, which affected me. And um, it basically, uh, it basically uh, caused her to have a career change. She had a, a near fatal accident one night from one of our shows. And she was in the hospital for a while. And um, I'm kind of vague in terms of the timing of when this came out, but she was really struck by the fact that we had a past life connection and mm -hmm. so, so much show that, so that she changed her career since she couldn't dance because of her spinal injuries again. Uh, she changed her career to uh, study past life regression mm -hmm. with Roger Wolger. Um, and I forget where Roger is um, out of. He's now passed, but he was a, a, a pretty much uh, accepted authority on past lives and past life regression as a uh, healing modality in the 80s. So uh, my friend Margaret was exposed to all that and took me through a, 
a series of regressions, which were really uh, eye openers for me in terms of what I thought was possible and what, what um, you know, just opened up my eyes to alternative health and alternative ways of getting at blocks and um, conflicts. Uh, and, and maybe just explaining some some things which seemed random and and uh, didn't make any sense. Um, so that that really was central to my the explosion in 1985 of of sort of focusing on spiritual growth as as a as a really important part of my my life, uh, and that continued uh, and continues till this day. Um, so that's really, that's really what gets me started on the path. Wow. Yeah. And I remember you wrote an amazing album, Steel Blue Moon, uh, which I'm going to make sure that at the end, people have a way to get in touch with you in case they want to get any of your amazing <laughs> songs that you've written. But tell me a little bit about your, about the influence of Steel Blue Moon for you. Steel Blue Moon was, um, if I remember correctly, the, uh, the timing was such that we had been signed to Warner Brothers Capricorn around 1992, 93. So that was like the big, um, the big shot um, for the band. And um, it, it just coincided with the label Capricorn losing their distribution with Warner Brothers. So it basically, we got, we got a whole bunch of money thrown at us. We got uh, to be on uh, national television and tour with some national acts, but it didn't last very long. And we found ourselves sort of in a position of having to go back to um, self-sufficiency sure, and not rely on label support. And this is really where, um, you know, my self uh, doubt about the ability to, um, provide a lifestyle for my now four kids uh, yeah. under the age of 10. And, 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 and expanding grandchildren as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. But at the time it was, um, it was just, um, I, I think Steelable Moon came out right after that hiatus where we, we had to sort of figure out what we were doing. And I, and we were playing a certain style and volume of music, which, caused me to retreat and maybe go to a more contemplative place and a little quieter place. Yeah. Although not all of it is, not all of it is contemplative and quiet, but um, it, it allowed me to, to get more spiritual and reflective in terms of where I was at. And, and that was a result of that. So I used some of the people from my band and, and uh, some people who, um, who were new in, in my life. Steve Sadler was a new contact around that time. And he, he was, pulled in to, to play all over that. So, uh, and these were subject uh, subjects that were, you know, hovering underneath my skin uh, the whole time I was, you know, doing the rock thing. Um, but they were, you know, not really getting a chance to express to the extent that I, I really wanted to express them. So, so that was my first, I think, opportunity to get you know, introspective. Yeah, quieter. yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm actually rereading um, The Artist's Way. I don't know if you've ever read that one, Julia Cameron, yes. an oldie yeah. but goodie. Um, yeah. It took about a month for me to get the book and they probably had to reprint the whole thing. Um, but I'm using that with a class right now because again, this whole idea of the inner artist and, and fear and, and how we let all these things get in the way of actually expressing our true selves 
that also impact our health. So it's, you know, it's so, okay. it's so connected for sure. Yeah. So, it is so, so what are the obstacles? So definitely you've, you've shared a couple of the different obstacles, but you know, what are the big obstacles you feel like that have gotten in your way in terms of moving forward? Well, there you have it. Fear is the big obstacle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fear and self-doubt are the big obstacles. Um, you know, in, in my case, it was always being fed from pretty early age, since I was really interested in music at an early age that, you know, you couldn't make a living playing music. Yeah. And that right. was pretty drilled into me by my, my, my folks, even though they were supportive and they, you know, they were all over um, having me have the guitar and, and be able to, you know, go out and play and, and make some money with it. They, they discouraged, you know, making it a career and, and, um, I remember having those discussions on a number of occasions and I had older uh, business people in my life who were approaching my folks and saying, you know, let me, I want to sign this guy to, uh, you know, a, a management deal. I'll take care of this, you know, and they were like, no, I don't think so. Uh -huh. So, so I got the, the vibe pretty early that, you know, even though I didn't want to believe it and ultimately I didn't really listen. Um, but this, that sort of early belief system, I think, um, coupled with the fact that I, I knew already that I, I, was, I was privileged in terms of, I had a roof over my head, I had food that I never had on the table that I never had to worry about where it came from. Although my dad made us um, pretty, pretty much feel like we couldn't afford anything in the way of a luxury, that be out of the question. Um, I certainly didn't lack for anything. And I felt very, very lucky in, in that respect and almost guilty as I encountered other musicians and formed bands with other people who were less really uh, privileged than I was. Um, so that may have been an obstacle uh, in itself, you know, that guilt of, of you know, having more than others. Mm -hmm. From the get-go, <clears throat> do I really deserve this success? Do I really deserve to um, be in a position where I can, you know, receive money in the mail um, via royalties and not have to really go out and, and work for it? You know, even though that's the vision that I had. <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> but the other thing, of course, is choice of lifestyle. So if you're going to dedicate yourself to something which is you know, not a, a well-traveled path that is, is, you know, you take step A to get to point B, take step C to get to point D, and you'll make, you know, this amount of money. Um, music business is not like that. You know, art is not like that. So there, there was a test of faith and courage, which really occurred to me around the time of Steel Blue Moon, um, that really caused me to abandon um, my main focus career-wise as a musician in light of safety and, um, uh, what should I say, security, security. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna do the rock thing, you have to be willing to sacrifice pretty much everything. And, I, and here I was with, um, you know, a wife and four kids and I was not ready to sacrifice that. Sure. So, so, really I, tr I retreated and, and kept um, the musical aspect of, of my life as a uh, sort of a side project 
that I never, I was never really um, far away from, but which I became distracted by, you know, other things in life to try to bring myself up to the point of, you know, having a secure lifestyle. So those, that, those were the main obstacles is that lack of faith in your ability to do what you love to do to be successful enough to provide the, the lifestyle that you need. So it gets complicated when it's not just you anymore. Sure, sure, yeah. Wow, quite a story. So, you know, when I think of, when I take, think of total health, my definition is so much more expansive than not just being the health of the body, but the mind and the spirit. So talk to me a little bit about how you've bridged these together. And I know we've done a couple little, you know, little gigs, you're the professional, I'm just the sidebar here, but, um, you know, how you've actually sort of brought these together uh, in, a, in a healing modality. Well, I learned pretty early that I could be sick as a dog and run, be running a, a really high fever and still perform. And when I was done performing, no matter how sick I was, I would feel better. Just the act of <laughs> um, opening up that conduit and using my voice, um, if I could, there were times where I actually went months without being able to sing mm-hmm. and those, but, but there was healing in just the ability to stand and, and deliver um, energetically, you know, the guitar playing and then the feedback coming back from the audience. That's literally a loop, which is a healing loop, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. Think anybody who's a performing artist knows that and feels that. Um, it's difficult when you're not getting the feedback, but um, most of the time it, you'll find that it's yourself who's, who's not really opening to allow people to, to give the feedback. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times in my earlier days, I would blame, you know, the audience for not being responsive, but realizing as I grew older that it's really, it starts with you. And if you're not connecting that's that's the first obstacle. You have to be able to connect with a heart, one heart out there. Yep. And if you can do that, then others will follow. And then the feedback loop opens and then you start really getting something special happening. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. You know, I, I can so relate to that. I mean, I know you and I uh, sang together back at uh, St. John's, which was always fun. That's actually where we met, you know, at the one of the yes. um, prof- uh, the um, times of uh, getting together to, uh, to practice. Um, but when I would have a migraine or something like that, and every time I had to get up there to canter or sing, you know, pain went away. And, and again, it was that same thing of connecting with the people that just elevated my energy level. And it also elevated the people that were there. So, you know, it's such a gift to recognize that feedback loop, that which is unseen, which you tapped into very early on in your dinosaur days. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, but just, you know, staying open to it, you know, there's no, there's no doubt. And um, yep. there's so much about sound frequency and things like that. So, and I know you know a lot more about the frequencies of sound and how they can impact healing. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, my geek, the geeky side of me, the scientist who studied geology <laughs> um, was exposed to um, mineralogy, optical mineralogy, and you know, realizing that um, everything's waves. All matter in creation is, is is manifesting as, as waveform. And 
you know, electromagnetic energy of, um, of some level and measured in wave frequency. And, uh, you know, music is one part of, portion of that spectrum. Light continues as a higher frequency portion of that spectrum. Um, so the introduction of uh, different frequencies of light, it just, you know, I was of course aware that strings vibrate and create waves, mm -hmm. but it really made sense when I started um, more earnestly studying uh, sound, healing it, quote unquote. Uh, I think my most visceral experience with it, aside from, you know, the, the, the trip, the, the timeless, spaceless trip that I would get from improvising was um, in, I think, 2007, I went to a, a conference on sound healing in Santa Fe, where a lot of the um, experts of the day were giving workshops. And I went to a, a gong bath, mm. which was about an, I'd say an hour and a half a room full of about, well, a lot of people, uh, all stretched out on yoga mats. And I really had a, uh, a visceral reaction to mm -hmm. being exposed to those frequencies uh, for, for that period of time. And I needed really to take a salt bath afterwards. Um, that was a, what, when I asked what to do, cause I felt lightheaded and, and, dizzy and what was really going on is, is the resonant frequencies in, in my body were releasing toxins which were being directed out. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was feeling like, you know, I was detoxed. Not well. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. But it was such a powerful experience. And since then I had, um, you know, received my own um, calling to do um, gong meditations and gong baths and crystal bowl um, performances and, and uh, sort of using the shamanic method to mm -hmm. connect with um, frequency in the body and mm -hmm. use it, using the frequencies where, whether they may be a, a gong or a series of gongs or crystal bowls or tuning forks uh, using using the vibration or the frequency that's being emitted as a carrier wave of intention. So being able to open, um, get out of the way as a, as a, as a personality, as an ego, and try to um, just open and let the, the conduit thing happen. So if you were in the presence of someone with cancer or with a you know, a, a bodily, a mis, misfunction of an imbalance of some kind to, to just not try to fix it, but open to the possibility that there was, there was the cure, there, there was the balancing factor out there that just needed to come in. And you, all you were was the, um, the bridge mm -hmm. providing from the, from wherever that energy is coming from, because it's a universal energy that's ever present and bringing it into the specific energetic field of the person who you are with mm -hmm. or the or the people that you're with 
so that that's my sort of go-to in terms of what I aim for, you know, in the presence of um, others when I'm bringing in healing energy. Yeah. And I've done this with, um, you know, a partner so that it really is an emotional um, touch touchstone, I guess, that, that we're we're using for, from our own hearts and our own um, vibration mm -hmm. to allow to allow an opening in the room for further higher level frequencies to come in for everyone. Sure, and sure. Each person, each person will react to those frequencies as needed for their own purposes. So I don't even believe it's specific to you know. Um, using a certain frequency of tuning fork for a certain organ, mm -hmm. because I, I know that there has been um, research done with using specific frequencies to target specific organs and specific cells. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, part of that, I, I believe, is the intention of the experimenters. I think that really plays an important part in the the results of experiments. So uh -huh. what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is it really, it's more about your intention in terms of what this frequency is intended to do than having the frequency actually resonate with as a harmonic of the organ that it's targeted to. Yeah, yeah, that makes, that actually makes very good sense. Of course, in the scientific method, they want to prove a frequency in an organ, you know, cause that's just right. part of how research is set up. Um, I oftentimes use for myself and for other people, you know, may I be, or may you be healthy, healed and whole. And that doesn't always mean a cure because, you know, you've been on my journey, my cancer journey and Lyme journey and staph infection and all that other good stuff. Um, and, you know, I use that healthy, healed and whole, you know, always hoping for the total cure, but you know, that's something that we can't necessarily determine or not determine. Right. Um, but holding, holding, holding an open heart and an open space. And it's interesting, some of the things that have been quantified, and you may have heard of this, is heart math. Are you familiar with heart yeah. math? Yeah. Yes. So again, that whole idea of the heart, you know, has such an important and a, and a profound uh, connection to all beings, you know, all living beings. So if yes. you can tap into that heart energy, it makes all the difference in the world. Wow, this has been pretty amazing. <laughs> so, you know, as where do you see whole healthcare going? And when I, again, when I say healthcare, I'm not just talking about the lab coat in the doctor's office, but it's entire, you know, it's entire health. So where do you see things going? If you look in your crystal yeah. ball? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I don't know if I, I have much of a crystal ball, but I certainly, you know, my personal perspective is, is the welcoming of uh, alternative modalities and uh, uh, energy medicine as, as a validated source of healing, you know, in mm -hmm. the medical community, because in the West, it has been so long, um, you know, that, that we are treated as, you know, machines, basically, it's a, a chemical, um, yeah. you know, physical machine that, that we're treating with mostly drugs to uh, get at the, you know, the, the causes, um, 
but mo more likely the, um, the symptoms. Uh, and, and I do want to counter by saying that, you know, I, I'm the first one to admit I would be dead two or three times if not for antibiotics. So there certainly is a, a need and, a, and there'll always continue to be a need for Western medicine, but why neglect the power uh, that has been a, sort of um, validated for thousands of years by other cultures, you know, the yeah. Hindus, Buddhists, the Tibetans, um, that have relied on alternative um, modalities to address some of these, you know, physical and emotional problems that, that humans have. Yeah, yeah, very true, yeah. So to kind of wrap things up a little bit, what three tips do you have to offer people in this confusing world of health? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm much of an expert for offering uh, tips, but I would, I would certainly, um, for my own lessons, foster the trust in your own body and its own ability to, to know that it's doing and able to do the right thing, you know, in any particular situation. So having some belief that your body is built as a magical machine and it knows, or as a magical, I don't want to say, use the word machine because that's kind of the Galilean thing, but sure. yeah. um, you know, th this, this magical entity that is really super capable beyond what we give it credit for, just the magic that happens in it every single day. So just sort of listen and um, spend time and, mm -hmm. and be kind with your, with your body and, um, and with yourself and, and try to filter or at least acknowledge the, the self-criticism that happens internally in your mind constantly as a, as a repeating um, voice for most people, I included. Uh, it's important, I think, to catch that and to just say, hey, wait a minute, you know, would you treat anybody else like that? Would you, yeah. would you, would you be that harsh to, to, to another human? And I think it starts there. You have to really train yourself to not, to give yourself more slack and, and to listen to your body and um, go deeply into what, what hurts or what feels good, you know, and, and listen to what, what your intuition in your heart is telling you about that. And, and so what follows is to listen to your heart, you know, more than we tend to, you know, we'll be trusting what your heart is telling you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. How can people connect with you? Let's see, I have, um, there are two, two main email funnels that I have. And one is the, I have a Facebook fan page, which is Jamie the Walker. So facebook.com forward slash Jamie the Walker. You can always message me there. Um, my band is called Swinging Stakes. And that has a contact us um, button as well. So you, I will receive that email if you, if you go to the Swing Stakes. I have a website, which is jamiewalkermusic.com. And that, oh, that okay. is being renovated. But you could go there and despite its shambled appearance, be able to submit the contact. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be up and running perfectly very soon. Awesome. Very good. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it. And if you like this podcast, please rate it, review it, and share with your friends, families, and coworkers. I am on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net and on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness and on YouTube at Julie Freeman Functional Medicine La Jolla. Until next time.